And we are back. Welcome to the first episode for 2020 of Refs Roundup. It's a new season. There's new rules. There's a new virus in town. How excited are you to be back, Badge? Um, very excited to be back. But yeah, it's strange times we live in at the moment. And uh, rugby league is no different than the rest of the world. And we're dealing with some, some issues, but uh, we'll get through it and... Hopefully we get a good product out on the, on the field this so you, weekend. So you've been around for how long? 17-odd years? Um, little, the NRL been, yeah, level? Yeah, yeah, the NRL level. Never seen anything quite like this. Never had to worry about games being called off. <laughs> um, and, yeah, seasons being suspended. So, yeah, interesting times. Well, we've got plenty to get through today. Um, we've got a bunch of stuff to talk about through our uh, pre-season into round one. Um, we'll get started off the top. That we've got. A, we just wanted to make mention that we've got a few new staff members and squad members on board with the NRL squad. Yeah, it's a, a bit of a change up this year with um, some new additions to our strength and conditioning staff and our um, coaching staff, as well as a couple of new guys in our squad. So we've got David Boyle. Some some old heads like me might remember Boyley from back in the days at South. Um, He's a, oh, how will I put this without upsetting him too much? He's a pretty tough. Um, he liked to use his elbows in tackles. Elbows, knees, fingers. <laughs> um, yeah, Borley comes from the old school, but um, has a wealth of knowledge in strength and conditioning and, and not only himself, but the connections that he has. So he's going to be a great asset um, to us. In saying that, we we um, have parted ways with um, Matty Jeffries, who was with us for a couple of years, who was outstanding in his role. and you know, we'll Smartest be, human I know. Yeah, and will be sorely missed and... Uh, was was really good at what he did, but um, as we move forward, we uh, we got Boyley there with all these connections, which um, already we've seen some some differences in the way we train and, and some some different approaches. Have you is... ever seen a man with such big lats and pecs? Boyley, yeah, it's insane. It's, it's, <laughs> it's quite scary. Um, yeah, he, he's. For, for you know his size and strength, he he's, he scares me actually. I'm, I'm scared to walk past him sometimes. If he knocks me over, I ain't getting back up. <laughs> so yeah, ex player on board as our performance manager. Um, we've got another ex player on board as well in our coaching ranks with David Fairley. Yeah, so Dave comes to us like I'm going to probably say wealth of knowledge a fair bit, but Dave comes to us from uh, assistant coaching and coaching at lower grade levels at the NRL. Um, I remember. When I first started refereeing uh, reserve grade, which is now the Canterbury Cup here, uh, Dave was the coach of Newcastle. And I remember some interactions with Dave that were fairly positive and um, some not so positive back in those days. But uh, the, the amount of football knowledge that he has being around different systems will help us like around that side yeah. of our... And he's, he's been the assistant coach up with the Cowboys for the last couple of years. Cow- he's been at a, at a number of clubs, yeah, but he's been up there um, recently and sort of come in and... Yeah, our, our football understanding will only get better with having Dave around. He's also going to get really involved in, in the refereeing side yeah. as well and learning about that and, and assisting us in, in that space as well. Yeah, so he's new into the ranks. It'll be great to see what he brings to our department. Um, the third staff addition to our department this year was is uh, Dan Vukovic. He's a uh, pretty... Pretty handy soccer player, and he's our new. Ask him, he'll tell you. <laughs> and he's our new physio. Who, um, anytime he gets on the paddock to have a bit of a run with with the group, he can show a few people up. He's got some pretty good uh, speed in his legs. Yeah, and that's the benefit of having Dan around as an athlete as well. He understands what we go through and how we do it, um, so he can have input into into that as well and, and see how we move and 
Yeah, and he does jump in at sessions and, and he shows that he's reasonably fit as well. And we've got two new additions to our Touch Judge squad in Liam Nichols and Mark Bowen. So they'd both run um, a number of NRL touch lines last season, pretty much spent the whole year in, in NRL. Um, and this year have been elevated into that Touch Judge squad um, and elevated into the full-time squad as well is my favourite little mate, Drew Ultram. <laughs> Your little mate, eh? So fan- fantastic for Drew's uh, picked up with the family, moved from Newcastle down to Sydney, um, you know, on the start of this new venture for him. And that's a big thing for Drew because for a long time he's been making that commute from Newcastle to Sydney. You know, he's got a young family and it, it, it takes a toll, you know, and to be able to still be able to go out and perform at the highest level and to be rewarded with a contract and to then literally, you know, be told he's got a contract and have to move the family down to, to Sydney. Um, it's been a, a pretty big couple of weeks, a couple of months for, for Drew, and he's luckily he's supported by a, a you know a pretty strong family unit up in Newcastle. Yeah, you know, it's, it's going to be hard for him without having them around, but um, yeah, they're always looking after him. Absolutely. All right, so into the preseason, um, something we got to do as a squad, which was very different for us, was that we got to go across to Perth to the Perth Nines. Um, unlike teams, uh, we don't we very rarely get to travel as a big squad. So obviously we travel with, you know, the two referees and sometimes the two touch judges to our games in, you know, Townsville, Brisbane, New Zealand, that's those sorts of um, destinations. So maybe four people travelling to, together. But the fact that we've got a squad of 22, we don't really ever – well, we, we never have done that. Even when the Auckland Nines were on, we would travel as a squad of maybe 16 and then we'd pick up a few touch judges who were New Zealand-based. And this year we got to travel and spend a week away as a group in Perth. Yeah, it was a great experience because not only did we go and, and go there for the football, we were there – I think we got there on the Tuesday. So we are there for almost a week. So we got to interact as a group, but we also got to go and see how some other sports do what they do. Uh, so we split up into groups and, and some of us went to like, the group that I was with. We went and um, had a look at the Perth Glory setup, and they'd come off the back of a pretty solid season the year before in the A-League and, and are travelling pretty well in the A-League as, as we speak. Um, another group went to go and um, see the Kookaburras, the, the hockey team. Yes, that was, um, that, that was, that was my group. group. Who uh, you know, have yeah. been at the top of their game for quite a long time. As long as I can remember hockey, the Kookaburras have always been a force around the world. So they've obviously got a, a really good system there and, and you and your crew got to see that. And there was a couple other crews. One went to West Coast, West Coast Eagles, Eagles and, and one went to Fremantle, Fremantle Dockers. Yeah. yeah, so we did a few uh, yeah high-performance visits, um, went and had a look at how other sports do things. I got to ask a lot of questions about how they train, um, what their leadership group sort of set up is like, what the culture and the environment is like. So we can sort of see, um, you know, what we do compared to what they do and what we could take out of what they um, do to make ourselves better. And one of the impressive things with my group going to see um, the Kookaburras, so the men's hockey team, um, won many gold medals, bronze medals, so massive on the world stage. I think we're currently ranked number two in the world. Um is that after that after that visit with them, they actually approached us and contacted us about to ask uh, what did we see in them and get some of our feedback for them to make themselves better. And I guess that's when you see um, people in elite sport, they're always looking to to improve and get better. And we sort of sit back going, oh, we're just a bunch of referees, but they want our they honestly want our opinion of what we saw in them um, to help them improve. It also shows, and speaking to all the groups over that weekend, because we all sort of post that we've, we've sat down in groups and, and presented to the rest of the group around what we saw and, and what they did. What it says shows me is that we are fairly 
fairly good in what we do and we are you know elite in what we do because a lot of the practices that those elite teams were doing we do mm. um when you go around to all the different teams that you take a little bit out of each and we are doing bits of each of that obviously sports specific stuff is different but when you look at the culture and the, you know the, the ethics and you know the expectations on each other um it's very similar it, 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 it's, it's the same so it, it says to me that we are an elite sporting body and we are elite athletes, which not a lot of people tend to agree for or would even understand. But for, for what we do, um, we rate pretty highly. Yep. So that was the lead up in Perth, the lead up to the games on, on Friday and, and Saturday. Um, and that was another difference for us heading over to Perth is that uh, same as the teams, your preparation for each game is going to be vastly different to what it is on a week-to-week schedule within the NRL because you might have... Um, so teams had a couple of hours, might have had a couple of hours between games. We scheduled ourselves a bit different where we went, we sort of worked in blocks where you might, we might have been on for four or five games in a row between referee, you might referee, run two touch lines, be in goal and then have a break. Um, so it was significantly different to what we would generally do. Yeah, our turnarounds were a lot shorter, um, which meant our preparation for each game and preparation for our block of games had to be, you know, sort of, down to, to correct timings and stuff, so we're ready to go for those blocks of time. Um, it also was, for a lot of us, not so much for yourself because you do multiple roles throughout the season. There was a few of us that... You, know, you had to come back onto the touchline. Haven't run touchlines for, for a while. The only the only time I get to do it is in, in the nines, the last couple of nines. And hey, old dog new tricks, eh? Hey? Well, I've done them before and... I let, I, you know, I, I, it was like I'd never missed out. I was, I was well, outstanding on the touchline. It was one of the highlights of the me. tournament, seeing Gavin Badger running a touchline in one of the semifinals. And, and it, it, I joke about it, but I really enjoyed the experience because what happens is, because I haven't done it for so long and you sort of forget the technical aspects to it. So to be able to do it and, you know, and then get to do it quite a few times, you know, over the last couple of nines tournaments, I've probably done one or two, or I probably did five or six this one because I, I went late into the tournament on the touchline. It gave me a great appreciation for what touch judges do week in, week out and how difficult some of it can be. Mm. Um, and it gives me a better understanding when I'm referring of the information I'm getting. And it's something that, you know, I, I, I think that we should do a little bit more of it. Mm. I, I, yeah, Not the fact that I'm not going to say I enjoyed it too much because I, I love refereeing, but I think it, it gives us a, an insight into mm. what we need or what, is being given to us when we're refereeing. Yep. Um, so a bit different in the nines. Obviously, we had no video refs, but we had the in-goal judges, so it added an extra element to us um, decision-making-wise. Um, as always in tournaments like that, we always had a – we're going to have a controversy here or there, but as a whole, we batted uh, pretty high as a, as a squad, which was um, really pleasing to see. Uh other preseason games, we had the All Stars, we had the Charity Shield. You got to head to um, Mudgee, Mudgee for the Charity Shield. Yep. Um, was the first time you got to try all the Captain's Challenge, and we'll talk a bit, bit more about that later. Yep. But um, pretty good experience in Mudgee. Yeah, Mudgee was awesome, and that that trial game is one that as as referees we sort of look forward to, to getting because you're virtually starting round one because you have it's a TV game, like you said. We got to trial the Captain's Challenge. You have the video ref and the bunker. Um, you're virtually getting a head start on everyone else. So it was a great opportunity. I'm glad that I got that. And you just mentioned the All-Star game as well where you um, got to officiate up there. And, you know, I, I came up to watch and remember sitting there watching the men's game about to start and the goosebumps from the, yeah. you know, the war cries and stuff like that and, and how great a, an spectacle and experience that, that event is. Yeah, All-Stars is one of my favourite events on the calendar every year. If I could if I could go up there or down wherever it's, it is, last year it was in Melbourne and you were on the game, if I could attend every year, I definitely, definitely would. It's something we look forward to, isn't it? 
All right, so as I said, new season, new laws. We've got five new um, laws for season 2020, so we thought we'd have a little um, discussion about them to let people sort of know the ins and outs of them. Um, so first of all, we just want to touch on again, I know in previous seasons we've spoken about this, but um, about how rules are developed and, and implemented. So these rules don't come out of our office. It's not us as referees sitting there saying, change this, do this, do that. No, we couldn't, we couldn't do that because... If it was to come on our shoulders, we'd get a little bit selfish with it. So we'd look at rules to make our job easier, not what's <laughs> best for the game. And that's just, yeah. you know, that's just being completely honest. So we do get consulted, and we do have uh, a seat at the table in in the discussions when it comes to creating new laws. But it's generally the competitions committee that um, that drives that, draw, draw and, and throw in into the mix what laws they think should be changed and how they should change yeah. it. They get together, they put it towards, then they go to the commission with it. So sometimes it, it can off. be from the competitions committee, other times it can be from the commission, yep. and sometimes it can be driven out of uh, something that happened. It can be is, re- it can be reactive, something happened in a game, and we've gone, oh wow, this really needs needs to change. Um, there are also some rules that are implemented game wide, so under sixes through to the NRL, and some rules that are only in the NRL. Um, and the reason for that is that some are easy to to implement, but then some have to be specific to the NRL because of whether it's got to do with technology, so things like your captain's challenge, um, even things like the scrum being moved because um, there's a time pressure. That's a big one. Yeah. The time pressure on so, and, and a time clock. Whenever there's a time clock, it, it, it is restricted to the higher level where you have visual time, you have yeah. timekeepers and stuff like um, that. And, and to the skill sets of of officials in, in different games. So the two rules this year that are going to be implemented across the game, so under sixes through to the NRL, are the mid-air tackle and the mutual infringement. So the mid-air tackle just means that no one can be tackled in the air from a kick on the full, um, whether they're the attacker or the defender. So that brings the rule in line with the international game. So people who watch a lot of um, people who might watch Super League in England, it's been it's always been the rule over there. And when you watch international tournaments, generally um, the rule is is the same as Super League, where you can't tackle anyone in the air. Yeah, because that's an international law. Yeah. It, yeah. So, so pretty easy one, an easy one to um, implement from again from under sixes through to the NRL. There's no reason why that can't be implemented. Um, the second one there is the mutual infringement. So the biggest example of this came out of the grand final in 2019 where the Roosters trainer was hit with the ball. Um, it also happened a couple of times last season and in previous season where the referee was hit with the ball or made heavy contact with a player and then it that affected play. So the mutual infringement is when something happens that's not the fault of either team um, and play is irregularly affected. That's the main point. Play has to be irregularly affected. So if the ball gets kicked and just brushes past the referee's leg and keeps rolling and the fullback was always going to get the ball from the other team and the fullback still gets the ball from the other team, we would play on. Yeah, that's the thing. It's not automatically if the ball touches the referee or a trainer or a dog if it runs on the field or whatever. Um, it doesn't automatically mean that that's a mutual infringement. We have to see what happens post that. So, there ha- like you say, there has to be uh, the play has to be irregularly yeah. affected. So. so, essentially, the way the rule uh, used to be was that a scrum would be packed, and the team who uh, the attacking team would have the loose head and feed. So, the attacking team wasn't necessarily the team with the ball; it was the team with the territorial advantage. So, I could be ta- make, be, be the tackling team, but I'm in the other team's half. That means that I would get the scrum feed and get a whole new set of six. And and the reason being for that is 
we make, and we've spoken about it before, we make new rules in our game, but we don't sort of change the whole um, rule in itself. So the mutual infringement was back when scrums were competitive. So if, if the attacking team had the feed, the defending team had the loose head, and it was a competitive scrum, so it was a 50-50 chance of someone getting the ball. And a lot of the game was about field possession, field position, field position rather than possession of the ball. Yeah, so it was, it was a genuine contest for the ball. So no one was disadvantaged because either team could get the ball. Hmm. So now with, with the... Current, not, not the current, the law that we did have before the change this year, there was a disadvantage to a team that hadn't done anything wrong because the team would get a whole new set of six tackles yeah. from a scrum. Or the team would go from the the ball would go from the team who had, had possession the to the other team. To the so other team. There was a, yeah, often a disadvantage. Yeah. So the way the rules change now is that if there is a mutual infringement, the, the easiest way to explain it is that pretty much the play gets replayed. It's just a dead play so, and we played again. I'll give you an example. My team is on the 40 metres, are attacking. So we're in, in Gav's um, 40 metre, on Gavin's 40 metre line. I kick the ball and it hits the referee and play is regularly affected. The game is stopped. We come back to the play the ball and we essentially replay that play the ball. Yep. yep. We so, just play the ball, whatever that tackle yep. was. So if it happened in goal, we just come back out again. The only time we don't replay the previous play the ball is from something from a start or restart of play. So think something happens from a kickoff or something happens from a goal line dropout. We just take that dropout again or take that kickoff again. We just go back to how we last started play is exactly what we do. It's a do-over. It's a do-over, a mulligan. Yeah. So that's it. That's there are ins and outs and intricacies of the wording of the rule, but that's pretty much the easiest way that's to the explain basics it. To it all. Um, okay, so they're the two that are implemented across the game. There are now three additional rules which are going to be implemented um, in the NRL. One of those is the 2040. So that was trialled last year in the Queensland Cup competition. Uh, pretty easy one for us to to rule on. The difference is. Obviously, they kick it inside the 20. The ball goes out after landing in the field past the 40-metre line. Has a bit of a ramification on our positioning as touch judges. So um, instead of uh, two touch judges being back with the defensive line, we would usually have two touch touch judges back with the defensive line from 0 to 30 metres, so from the goal line to the 30-metre line. We've now dropped that back to being somewhere between 15 to 20 metres because if a team takes a kick from inside their 20... We need a touch judge back to rule on um, onside and offside, offside chases. chases. Yeah. Um, so it, it it impacts us a little bit there. Um, although we haven't seen one in round one, we didn't see we a didn't, forty no. twenty kick. We thought a twenty forty a twenty forty. Sorry, we thought we might have an attempt in. I was on the game in Newcastle, Newcastle and Warriors on the weekend. There was a very very strong headwind um, going from right to left. So down one end of the field, we thought. You know, they might take a crack at it, but it didn't happen. Strong headwind and a lot of strong rain. Yeah, of course. Um, Okay, the other rule that's implemented in the NRL, which no doubt everyone's seen, is the positioning of a scrum. So instead of the scrum being set where the infringement occurred, so where the knock-on or forward pass occurred, or 20 20 metres infield, so if it happened between those tram tracks or the ball went out, um, the teams now have the option of packing the scrum on the 10-metre line in line with where the ball went into touch or the infringement occurred, um, the 20-metre line or midfield. Um, the purpose of the rule, I guess, is to add some unpredictability to the game, so hopefully to have some more set plays um, and stuff like that. So just thought we'd have a bit of discussion around how um, how it works, how the players let the referees know where they want the scrum, um, and that 
extra that that additional load meant mental load that it adds for referees. Yes, that's something that uh, during the preseason and in our club scrimmages that we went to, we tried to sort of get used to the fact that we we had this and there was a time con- component to it. So they have ten seconds to from a uh, five seconds, sorry, from when the um, decision is made. Not when we blow the whistle. So when we actually say what the decision is, yeah, they've got ten seconds, a uh, five seconds, sorry, to then let us know where they want the scrum. So they have nominated players uh, in each team, so the captain generally, and and the vice captain or the standing captain when that captain's off, if he's off the field, and they have to nominate those two players to, to us. us before the game. So we, we don't know want, we don't want thirteen players running. They might have if we have three players from a club running, they might give us three different positions where <laughs> they want the scrum. So yeah, we we have nominated players so that we know who they are. Um, so what happens is in, in this period of time we have a decision that we've made that we need to be aware of that could be challenged as well. So we have a captain's challenge that could happen at that stage. We have to wait for a, find a captain to uh, let us know where they want the scrum and we also have to make sure that all players are standing and not in the hands of trainer to put the scrum clock on. So we spoke last year a lot about this with the scrum clock and, and how much work um, it is for referees and touch judges when a decision's made to clear that all players are, are up or if they're in the hand of the trainers, turn the shot clock, the scrum clock on. But within this time, we've also had to clearly communicate what the decision is. From that point, five seconds starts and we've got to be aware that a player would be coming to us to say, we want the scrum packed yeah. here or there. So. So for There's us, a lot happening in yeah, five seconds. So, yeah. so for us as officials, we don't really have any downtime there. So we're, we're, we're all moving. So in our game on the weekend, after, like I said, we, we tried, tried to do some of the stuff when we're at clubs committees, but you can't, you're not under the same It's pressures. not the same pressure. And, and, and the players sort of aren't overly concerned about being there late. So in our game on the weekend, we worked really hard on both of the referees uh, taking a team each and getting them to the mark. So we'd look for the captain as soon as we put the scrum clock on because that's probably our first sort of point of call to make sure that everyone's standing up. Because we've discussed that as a, as a group saying we can't delay putting the scrum clock on no, just because we're trying to, trying to work out where they want the scrum packed. So we can't delay the game in that way. Yeah, yeah. So so we'd, yeah, we'd do our scanning like we, we spoke about to make sure that everyone's up, put the clock on, then liaise with the captain where they want the, the scrum then we would grab a team each and take them to the mark and get them there as quick as possible because if they're lingering around you know, the sideline and we've got to get them to the middle of the field and, and we've already used up five or mm. ten seconds of our scrum clock, we've got yeah. you know, a, a short period of time to get them all over there bound and packed. Um, and I found it, it there's a lot of communication going on between referees to players, touch judges, you know, calling players back and, you know, and stuff like that. But I found if we did that and we all took a role in there, it seemed to work pretty cleanly. Mm. Um, we had a couple that went really close to, to the clock running out um, through no one's fault for the fact that we just had to get everyone in there and players sort of still getting used to it. Um, and I think going forward, it'll, it'll be a lot cleaner as we as everyone sort of understands it. So with that five seconds, uh, the timekeepers will tell us that. So they'll say five... So we'll get a, a sound in our earpiece of the timekeeper saying five, five seconds. So we know that if the player... The two, the two nominated players, if they haven't communicated to us where they want the scrum prior to us hearing that, then the scrum will be set wherever it would have been as per yes. the old rule. Yeah, so if they don't come to us in the So in, if they come to us time, seven seconds later... It's just... It's, yeah. it's too, too bad it's where it would have been. And, and as you mentioned as well, 
it's not five seconds from when we might blow the whistle to stop play or no. because the ball five seconds from when the ball went out. It's once we've communicated that decision because, as we know, sometimes something can happen and we blow the whistle to stop play and, um, as, and the referee has to consult with the touch judge to work out what the decision is because it might be something like the ball was kicked and it might have been played at or rebounded off a player into touch. Well, it takes us you know, a couple of seconds for the referee to then d- work out with his or her team uh, who the ball came off and therefore exactly right. scrum who scrum feed it is. So who, who, who tells us? Because we had some occasions where both captains were saying, we want the scrum here. Yeah. It's like, well, wait up, it's not your feed yeah. because they weren't sure at, at stages. Yeah. So... Yeah, it's a work in progress, but I think it's it's added something to the game already um, through trials and um, on the weekend. You see a lot of teams uh, taking the scrum in the middle. Seems to be the the, go-to, the, preferred, yeah. the preferred spot so far after round one. Um, we'll and, see how it evolves. And when you've got you know, speedsters like Josh Adokar and you know, if you can James open up Roberts the field and, and that mm. yeah on an edge and. Yeah, you know, it's going to be some exciting try score yeah. of, of scrums. I think so. It adds a lot more work to us, but uh, hopefully it's hopefully it's good to, uh, for the game. Now, the third rule, which is implemented in the NRL this year, which there's been plenty of talk about, is the captain's challenge. So this is a big one for us. Um, we we've spent a lot of time speaking about it as a group, and we pretty much had to end our preseason with. Uh, sort of saying, well, we've spent a lot of time talking about this and talking through different scenarios, but at the end of the day, it's a small portion of what we do on the field. Um, so let's not consume all of our thoughts leading into, especially leading into round one, about how we deal with captain's challenge when 99% of what we do is not is not captain's challenge. Um, what we thought we'd do is just give a good uh, an explanation over around what are times and instances where players can and can't challenge because I'm sure there's going to become t- there's going to come time in the year where a player tries to challenge something which can't be be challenged and there'll be some sort of uproar about it um, so the main instances that will be challenged will end up being things like strips strip knock-on. knock-ons generally because Players can only challenge when the game has been or has already been stopped. So a decision that a referee has already made. So if Gavin knocks on or drops the ball and say the referee calls it as a as a knock back and play continues, or even if he knocks it forward and my team picks up the ball and so play continues, play has not stopped, that cannot be challenged. So play can only be challenged when the referee has blown the whistle to stop the game, which means I've blown the whistle to say that's a scrum or that's a penalty or w- whatever it might be. Yeah, and, and the big part of that is the reason behind that is we don't want more stoppages in the game. So we only want the challenges to come when the game has a natural stop. And, and we don't want it to be a tactical stop when people say, oh, teams are just going to be under the pump so they'll call for a captain's yeah. challenge. Well, it's kind of difficult for them to do that because when play is running, you can't stop the game. Yeah. So, so that's that's the big thing. That's the big reason why um, this is the path that's taken, where you can only challenge on a decision that's been made, and the game has a natural stop, mm. because yeah, we we just don't want games being stopped for no mid play for no reason. Um, and, and and with that comes sometimes you're going you, yeah, there could be a perception of you know a little bit of you know well why did why did we stop that one, and why can they challenge that one? It's exactly the same decision down the other end, but because the referee didn't blow the whistle. That one can't be challenged. So that's just something that, as a game, we've just got to accept to to get the fact that 
we may get some decisions correct after we've incorrectly ruled on the on the on the field. So if it means we get one decision correct every four weeks, that wouldn't have been. It's yeah. a win. It's a win for us. It's a win. So for, for referees, we're really. We, I, I think we're in a no lose situation around it because yeah, you know what. So they might challenge and it might be proven that we're wrong. Yep. But if they didn't challenge, we still would have been wrong anyway. So yeah. it doesn't change. And that's the big thing as a group, what we've gone out and said, well, we don't change anything we do around how we referee because of captain's challenge. We'll just referee. And if something comes up that the player can challenge and they challenge it, you know, and that's just part of the game now. Yep. So things that are penalised that can be challenged are kick chase. Yep. So, so offside. Offside, yeah. So From offside in terms of kick chase and in terms of, if, so say I drop the ball and Gavin's on my team and he's in front of me and he picks it up um, yeah, or offside. bounces off my foot, that aspect of the offside rule. Ten metres offside, that can't be challenged. No. So if we, um, so if you think a player's offside on the ten, you can't say stop the game, that player's offside because one, we can't stop the game. We can't stop the game. Or two, if you're penalised for being offside on the ten metres, you can't have a captain's challenge for that. Okay. Um, you can challenge restart infringements, so um, things like kick, out kick off, uh, kick out on the full. So if, if I kick, yeah, so kick from off. a kick off, um, if the ball's kicked out on the full and you think no, it landed in before it went out, for example, that can be challenged. Um, strips can be challenged again only if the game has been stopped. So if the referee has ruled it as a one-on-one strip play on, and you think that there were two in the tackle you can't challenge it because the game hasn't stopped. But if a penalty is awarded against you and you think there was only one in the tackle, you can pen- you, can, you can challenge that. Foul play can be challenged. So, again, only when play is stopped. I'm going to say this a thousand times. Uh, only when play is stopped. So I can't be tackled and then stand up and say, challenge, I, I think tackled. I was tackled high. Yeah. But... If something else has happened, so if I if the referee rules a knock, so to say I got tackled and I dropped the ball, so the referee has already stopped the game because there was a knock on, it could be challenged. I'm saying I, I dropped the ball because I went hit high. Yeah, or or sorry, alternatively, I could be penalised for a high tackle. So that's the yes. main point: is I could be penalised for a high tackle, and I can challenge it and say no, it wasn't high. I only made contact with the shoulders. Yeah, that could be reviewed. Um, obstructions can be reviewed. Um, and mid-air tackle or contact in the air can be reviewed as well. So, again, they're things that the game has already been stopped. They can be um, they can be challenged. You can't challenge, like I said, 10 metres offside, um, ruck infringements. Yep. So if, if, if I'm getting up to play the ball and I lose the ball and the referee um, calls crowding yep. and penalty, I can't challenge that. Yep. So crowding, hand in, foot in, any of that um, discretionary, discretionary sort of things. So it could have been that I, or even slow ruck, spinning on the on the player, whatever it might be. Yeah. Uh, and that works both ways as well. If, if the referee caught a, a lost ball, um, a, knock, a knock on, oh, yeah, you could challenge you that. Challenge Sorry, I was on the wrong train yeah. of thought here. Yeah, you could challenge it. Yeah. Um, you can't challenge time wasting. You can't challenge descent or back chat. Um, you can't challenge scrum penalties. Um, any time wasting stuff from the yeah from yeah, the scrum shot clock, shot clock things um, deliberate forward passes they can't be challenged. Um, so changes in possession that have a structured restart so scrums penalties handovers those sorts of things that can be challenged. Uh, Knock ons um, when a ball or the player goes into touch. So if the touch judge puts their flag out and said Gavin went into touch, so the game's already stopped. Gavin can challenge that and say no I didn't. Yeah. Um, 
things that lead to dropouts or 20-metre restarts, um, charge downs, um, whether a player's played at the ball or not, so tackle count restarts, they can all be challenged. Forward passes can't be challenged. Um, And then in point scoring, well, the the majority of the point scoring we're going to check anyway um, because if something's tight, we would generally refer it to the bunker. If for whatever reason we've missed something and we awarded a try, a player could use a captain's challenge. If they yeah. Say we missed an obstruction in the lead-up to a try and we just awarded the try live and a player thinks that they were obstructed, they could The same it. as if they're going to ground the ball and we call lost ball. Yeah. Um, they can challenge and say, I got the ball down. Yeah. You know, so, yeah, around point scoring they can challenge. The thing with the captain's challenge is, so breaking it down, say a team is successful with a challenge um, and then we talk about the restarts. So say we call strip and it comes out that it wasn't and no one lost the ball. Oh, we call lost ball and it comes out that it wasn't lost. We revert back to virtually our mutual infringement law and replay and go back to that tackle. Yep. So that's the, that's a big part a big part of um, of the captain's challenge is, is explaining to people how the play restarts. Restart. So if, if, there's no, if there's no natural restart, so like Gavin said, so it could be something where we called a knock on, on review it was a strip. Well, the natural restart is that there's a penalty awarded for that for that strip. Um, if there's no natural restart, we re- effectively we replay, replay the play. The play to make it consistent with the mutual infringement. Um, and that tackle count doesn't is not added to the yeah. count. They go back. It's the mulligan. Yeah, it's it's, it's another. Yeah. Go back. Do it again. Play play that tackle again. But if if the restart had to be given to the other team. So there was no natural restart, but my team had the ball, but now Gavin's team should have the ball. Well, then he would play the ball and it would have essentially be a zero tackle. It would be like a... Yes. So, if, yeah, if if the mutual if the um, whistle was blown and possession was in the team that should should have the ball, they get it tackle one. It doesn't go back to the other team, if that makes sense. So, so clear as mud, yeah. there's been a... We've spoken for a couple of minutes between what can and can't be challenged as well as how play is restarted. Now, there's a lot of words we've just said. We've got to know it like that on the field, like really, really quickly. When so, Because first of all, when something, when a decision happens, a captain or the two, the, there are two Same nominated players, nominated players who could be two different players who are nominated for the scrum, um, they have 10 seconds to challenge a decision. So, again, the 10 seconds starts from when the decision is communicated to the players. Um, our match day coach, so whoever's up in what was the old video referees box, has a stopwatch um, and that, that person would tell us when 10 seconds is up. So challenge, we'll just say challenge over. So if the match day coach says challenge over before we hear a player bring up the fact that they want to um, challenge it, then they can't. Now, if play has also restarted before then, so say it was a handover, okay? So say we've kicked the ball on last tackle, um, your team um, and my team has knocked on, which means it's a handover to your team. If you get up and play the ball before they challenge, before they challenge it, well, too late. Game same it. with a quick tap. Yeah. If they take a quick tap off the back of a penalty. I was just going to say the same thing. Yeah. yeah. So if a quick tap's taken, the 10 seconds is is gone as well. Um, so the challenge must be taken before the play has been restarted and before that 10 seconds has has elapsed. So it's a pretty quick time and you've got to think within that time as well, like we mentioned before, we've also got the a lot of the times we'll have the five-second scrum clock going as well yeah, there's a lot in happening. addition to the 25-second 
scrum clock. Um, so there's plenty of plenty of stuff going on, um, and we've all. And we know when things happen in the game, when we make decisions, um, we're already under pressure because we've just made a decision. Um, you can have 26 players yelling at you at the same time plus the sound of, of the crowd. So there's so much going on mentally for, for referees during these stages. And we've sort of said it'll take some getting used to. Um, there's a few of us that ha- that refereed a lot of this in the under-20s, albeit under a lot less uh, obviously, a lot less pressure and scrutiny yeah. in in the under twenty system, but the the system was was quite similar. Um, so there are a few of the guys refereeing at the moment who who refereed a lot in under that, but you didn't at all. So this no. is all new to you. That's no, so, yeah, all new to me. But I got to watch a little bit, obviously, obviously watching you come through and being a match day coach in some of those twenties games. So I did get to to see it firsthand without actually having to officiate to it. But um, like I said, we, our skill sets allow us to pick this stuff up pretty quickly and the reason why we are NRL officials and at the top of of the tree when it comes to officiating is because we pick this stuff up pretty quickly and we learn to adapt pretty quickly so um, we had it on the weekend and it it made no difference to the way we officiated and it felt felt natural we had two challenges I think in our game and it was fine so the main thing for people to take away is that things can only be challenged if the game has already been stopped and can only challenge things that are not discretionary. So 10 metre offside is discretionary. Ruck infringements are discretionary. Um, And that they only get the one challenge, one unsuccessful challenge per game. So when we look onto the weekend, which was the first time round one that we got to implement this at the NRL level, um, I think there were eight challenges across eight games. Um, Some games had none, some had two. um, And only two decisions of those eight were overturned. Um, which were both really, really tight um, incidents where ball, the ball yeah. was sort of bouncing off one player to another. Um, I think what it did for us was it showed how – it was quite positive for us because it showed the a- accuracy of our decision-making. So if we go to the opening game of the round of, of the season, uh, Parramatta and, and the Bulldogs, both teams used a captain's challenge. Um, both times referees are correct. And it's sh- – it's something that um, we've spoken about with with people before is that there are times where players legitimately think that we've gotten something wrong. So if we take that game on on uh, Thursday night, both times so when Parramatta challenged and Canterbury challenged, they legitimately thought we were wrong. We were right. Replay show, showed it pretty clearly. It wasn't even like a 50-50 thing. We, the referees were right. If we didn't have that captain's challenge... Okay, which happens other times in the game when their challenges are used up and stuff as well. Those players or those teams could continue on thinking, hey, we've just been dudded here. Yeah. Like, oh, I think the ball's been stripped. Like, oh, like I am so positive that this ball has been stripped and you've ruled it as a knock-on and potentially it changes the momentum of a game or a team can score off the back of it. And the referee was actually right. Yeah, it's a mindset thing for players as well because you have that negative mindset straight away. It's like, oh, you know, that went against me. Um, and the fact that straight away they, they know that actually it was right, mm. it just stops that straight away, I think. Mm. So generally, like I said, it, we need to, as referees, we need to take this as a positive. Um, and as a game, we need to take it as a positive because, like I said, if, if it means we get one decision right that would have been wrong and, and can change the course of a game, we've had a win. So, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no, I think it's it's good for the game. Yeah. So a couple of things that came out of us for, for uh, from came out of the weekend for us from a learning point of view, and we'll continue to learn as as um, as the season goes on with this refs challenge is around um, not calling half time or full time until that ten seconds has 
has elapsed. So not that a team wanted to do this, but there's an example. I was on the Newcastle and Warriors game and there was a um, – so before half time, there's a kick and then the ball bounces. You know, one player plays at it, another player plays at it and sort of, you know, ping-pongs everywhere and the decision was made. Half-time siren's already gone. You blow half-time. So as soon as the referee calls half-time – they can't challenge. We can't. Yeah, we can't challenge. It's it's the the moment's gone. So we've got to remember that as natural as it feels to go to blow the whistle, and go and knock on, and then blow the half time or full time whistle. Theoretically, the team could they challenge could it. So and we've just got to stand there for ten seconds, and it feels very unnatural. Let ten seconds expire before we call full time or half time. And you know, you think how many games at half time and at full time finish with a decision mm. because. It's the last play, so teams will kick and they'll throw long last passes and they'll try everything um, because generally they haven't got a lot to lose. Um, that It does end, the half and full-time does end off the back of a referee's decision, whether it be a knock-on, forward pass, which they can't challenge, but you know, a, a decision. So we need to just go away from our natural habit of blowing half-time and full-time. Yeah. Um, the other challenge around the captain's challenge um, is a tackle count um, scenario. Yeah, so... If, if play is to resume, so what happens is, as referees, a lot of times we count the tackles on our fingers. Um, so when you blow time off to um, indicate that there's a challenge, um, you lose the tackle count on your fingers sometimes. Um, you still have it in your head and we still have backups and stuff, but it's something that we need to learn as well, that we need to keep that tackle count because play may go back to restarting the tackle yeah. that's or, before the one that we've just finished or on. Or we would naturally say it was tackle three and we've ruled a, a knock-on. Knock on. Well, that piece of information, we talk a lot about like what information we retain as referees and the ability to push out irrelevant information because you can't keep everything stocked in your head, otherwise you'll just overload your bucket um, and you'll start to you know, start to mess things up. So we push out the irrelevant information. So say it was tackle three um, and we're forever in a day we've blown the whistle to say that was a knock-on. I now don't have to remember that that was tackle three. I've That's now left my, my brain. Yeah. But now a player could challenge it and potentially that team could get the ball back so would have to know that it was tackle three or potentially if it was last and it's handover. Yeah, yeah. A, a myriad of, of situations. Um, so we need to keep that in mind and it's not only immediately after but it could be 10 seconds later so we might think that they're not challenging because yeah sometimes 10 seconds can actually feel like a really long sometimes it's really short and well, sometimes it can feel really process. long you're starting to get the scrum in you're starting to bring players exactly. in all of a sudden they go challenge and you go okay oh geez what was what, the tackle what count? tackle was that yeah you know, it might seem people might think well in six seconds how do you forget something but because our skill set is to push stuff away yeah um it can happen that's why we have processes and we're working on process to make sure that we we don't get that one wrong yeah um all right, two quick things that happened out of round one that we just thought would give a little explanation on. We would have seen in the Dragons and Tigers game on the weekend um, that there was a tackle in the air. Um, so uh, against, as per the new rule, um, where a player was tackled, the attacking player was tackled in the air. So last year it wouldn't have been a penalty. This year it is. It was in a try-scoring situation and there wasn't a penalty try awarded. Yeah, and that's something as soon as the rule came in that we spoke about and pushed out to the clubs and pushed out to the media that a tackle in the air in a try-scoring situation 
I won't be awarded a penalty trial. It'll just be a penalty yep. um, because it's a desperate sort of thing. It's, as long as the tackle doesn't end up dangerous and stuff like that, where you know it's a, it's a desperate measure to try and stop a try. So they have to. We have to have a little bit of leeway there in, in saying that. Yeah, it's a penalty, but it's not a penalty try. Yep. So yeah, like I've said, as soon as this rule came in, um, and, and it was we did speak the... about it straight away. Yeah. It was one of the first things we spoke about was like, okay, well, if it's a tackle in the air, is it a penalty try? Yep. Because it's a try scoring situation. Is it a professional foul? But we sort of yeah. And I think oh, um, I think most people accept that. I think that's I know the commentators the on the weekend yeah. were listening to the game and they were sort of saying, oh, that's you know that's good. That's a smart sort of idea. Yes, we'll penalise it. But no, it won't be. It won't be a penalty try. Yeah. Um, but we did see a penalty try in that game, um, where a player was pushed off the ball. Um, the ball was grubber kicked into the in goal. Yeah, um, St George Tigers game. Yeah, yeah, same game. Um, and he and he was pushed. So the reason why that was a penalty try um, is that that the attacking player was most likely to get to the ball first um, because he was in front of the defender and there were no other defenders on the other side of the ball. Ball was also not really close to the dead ball line. Yeah. Um, so it was more more likely that that player would have grounded that ball had it not been for um, the illegal act of the opposition. Yeah, and the bunker official at the time, uh, Jared Maxwell, actually explained that quite well as he was going through the process as to the fact that he was most likely to get this ball and score. Yeah. Um, the misconception is that it ha- you have to be 100% certain. No one can ever be 100% certain, but in most, he was most likely to get that ball and score. So, yeah, it was, it was a correct decision. Yep. All right, so that's pre-season new rules and round one all done for us for this week. Um, heading into round two, we've got a few changes in the refereeing ranks amongst the uh, what is the COVID-19 debacle. Um, <laughs> so something that's changed for us as officials is that um, we've spoken plenty of times before about what we do in that we're full-time um, full-time athletes. We train just like clubs do, you know, four or five days a week together. As of we got a message Sunday night um, that we would be put into some social distancing, uh, not full isolation, but um, we would not be training together anymore. So we would be sent, we'll, we're being sent out all of our um, physical requirements, all of our run, strength, off legs, training sessions to do. Just go about your business, do them on your own. Um, and then we've dialed into our meetings. So our, all of our game reviews on the weekend were all like Skype style, WebEx style calls. Um, and our team meeting was was run the same way. Um, and we'll continue to do that for, yeah, as long as, as, long as we're directed to. Um, the idea being that we don't want to, as soon as, well, if one of us is, you know, gets it, is infected, then it puts everyone else into isolation. If we've got no referees, it's... A bit hard to run a competition. A bit hard to run a competition. And so Yeah, that's the thing. If one gets it, we can just isolate that person and we're still going to have to team. cover the games. So, or that team of officials, yeah. Yeah, so, so say myself and the three others in my team on the weekend, so there's four of us. If one of us were to get it, that's four of us that are out, but the other seven teams from the other seven games of the weekend can continue to officiate. Some people would potentially double up, do an extra game um, rather than everyone being out. The game's taken all precautions, which is good because um, I'd hate to not have rugby league on the weekend. So let's hope that we can continue to play throughout. Yeah. So it's different, different sort of time for us, but uh, we'll just see where it, where it leaves us. Um, which leads into my game, games on this weekend. So I'm on the touchline for the Titans and Parramatta game. Still waiting to find out whether um, we might have chartered flights um, up there. We might not be staying in hotels. Um, so a lot of things are changing. Um, 
players um, and referees having games in front of locked out stadiums. It's going to feel a bit sort of eerie. Um, but like you said, I'm just glad the competition can can go on for for the moment. Um, where are you this weekend? Yes, yeah, so I'm at one of my favourite grounds to officiate at, especially when it's full, but a little bit different this weekend. I'm at Leichhardt Oval on Sunday and, and another one, it's, you know, without a crowd on the hill at Leichhardt on a Sunday afternoon, it's it's going to be really sun- quiet. It's not Sunday at Leichhardt without a crowd. Nah, um, I'm, sh- I'm sure the ghost of Laurie Nichols will be out there um, somewhere, but um, yeah, it's, it's going to be an interesting Interesting day uh, out at Leichhardt on Sunday, running around without a crowd. It's been a long time since I've officiated a game without a crowd. So we'll, uh, see, we'll how, see how we go. See how it all goes. All right. So um, as always, we'll encourage people to join the Facebook and Instagram pages. Facebook page is NRL Officiating and the Instagram handle is at NRL Officiating. So uh, give us a follow on there or Gavin's personal uh, <laughs> Instagram or, or Twitter accounts. I'm sure he would like all the followers um, he could get. Um, if you're interested in becoming a referee, please visit refrugbyleague.com. Uh, and thank you for tuning in to this week's Refs Roundup. Bye.